Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our Old Testament lesson recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 to 49. To get us back to that text, I'd like to read just the first verse for you once again. David said to Saul, Do not let anyone lose heart because of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith in them. Dear Colorado, the children of Israel face a very real giant, a nine-foot-nine behemoth of a man. To put this into perspective, I myself am about 5'11", 6 feet tall, but Goliath would have been about the height of the dove on the stained glass window. Can you imagine looking up at such a tall man? And he wasn't just tall, he also was certainly burly and strong. The scriptures tell us that Goliath had armor that weighed 125 pounds. And he carried on his person a javelin, a spear, and a sword. He mocked the children of Israel, ridiculing them, encouraging them, send out your strongest warrior to fight against me for a duel. And the one who wins, well, that's the army who also defeats the other. As the children of Israel were facing a very real giant who defied the name of the living God. Well, we too face giants in our own world, in our own lives today. Giants who also defy the name of the living God. Those who seek to destroy our faith, who seek to destroy also the work of God and the work of his church. And yet God encourages us in our lesson for today, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when facing giants. Don't lose heart when facing giants, but instead know that God is with you. And know that God always wins the victory. I'd like to begin this morning by having us do a little bit of an inventory. I want you to think about all of the resources that we have as individual Christians and perhaps as a church. What sort of resources do we have to combat against powerful forces, powerful giants who defy the name of the Lord God, who are seeking to destroy us and destroy our faith and destroy the work of the church. We think of resources maybe such as God's Word, maybe such as our church, a place to assemble, but also our fellow believers who are there to encourage us in faith. We can think of our Sunday schools and our Bible studies and our Christian day schools, and Lutheran high schools and colleges as well. Certainly tools that God has given us to combat and to fight against these powerful forces. But really, how useful are these tools in the big scheme of things? After all, we can think about many who oppose God and His church using even the strong arm of the government to try to shut down churches, to, to try to squelch the message of the gospel or, or destroy our Christian institutions day schools and high schools and colleges, or we think about even employers today, because of their bottom line, they've wanted to adopt the, the morality of the simple world and the secular worldview, many, many of them forcing us as employees to hold on to those same opinions, lest we be fired from our jobs. We think of the strong arm of the government, we think about that threat of losing our employment or the threat of losing our our livelihood, those are certainly powerful things. 
children of Israel did a little bit of an inventory concerning their own strength and power, and they realized it wasn't enough. They didn't have enough men to take on the Philistines. They didn't have bigger weapons. They didn't have superior strength, and so they, they cowered in fear, not wanting to move, not wanting to attack, nor wanting to flee, lest they would be overcome by the Philistines. But they forgot something. A number of years ago, I remember I was at a uh, family Christmas gathering, and we had a little bit of a gift exchange. I remember the gift that I got from one of my cousins looked exactly like this, a little pocket knife. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a nice, useful tool. Maybe I can use that in the future. Let me put it on my keychain, like you see here. Maybe I'll use that in the future. I can't tell you how many times I've maybe had to cut a little bit of a string or a rope or maybe get a little sliver out of my finger or maybe use a, a, a little screwdriver or something to, to pry something. And I thought, oh, I wish I had a good tool for this. And I've scrounged around for many minutes. And then all of a sudden, ah, the pocket knife. It's in my pocket. It's right there. And I pull it out and I'm quickly able to deal with whatever problem and solve that problem because I have that tool right there. But I had forgotten about it. Think about the children of Israel as well. They did that inventory. They thought about all of the tools that they had. And they thought, thought that they came up short when it came to that adversary, when it came to that enemy, overlooking the greatest tool that they had of all, God, the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, who is on their side. Think of many times in Scripture when God reminds his people of this. Times such as in Isaiah 43 when he says, Do not be afraid, because I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you cross through the waters, I will be with you. When you cross the rivers, they will not sweep you away. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned, and the flame will not set you on fire, because I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Time and time again, God wanted to remind his people of this tool, this all-powerful trump card that they had to defeat the enemies that opposed him and opposed his work. So often God wanted to remind them of this, and sometimes remind them of this by making them small and weak so that they might learn to trust in him more. I think of the example of that man Gideon. God told him he wanted him to raise up an army against the Midianites to defeat them. And so Gideon gathered 32,000 men. God told Gideon, no, that, that's too many. Send the ones that don't really want to fight, that aren't filled with much courage, send them home. So 22,000 left. The 10,000 remained. Still God told Gideon, that's too many. Bring the soldiers down to the brook, have them drink from the brook, and I will tell you which ones to keep. The ones that cup the water in their hands and drink, number 300. God said, those are the men that I want to fight against the Midianites. Against the thousands upon thousands of Midianites, 300 will go. Certainly part of the reason God did this was to show his strength versus the Midianites, but especially it was to show this truth to his people. That it wasn't by their own power and strength that they would defeat the enemy, but it was by his power and strength that they would ultimately overcome. 
something God wanted to show his people even in our lesson for today. Think about how they cowered in fear. Think about how no one was willing to go and to fight against Goliath, that great giant. And how David volunteered, doesn't he? David says that he's willing to go. Everyone else thought this was suicide by giant to go in to face him, but David said, I will fight. I will fight. Now, King Saul initially didn't want to send David. Why risk his entire nation and put that in the hands of this puny little teenager? But David convinces him, doesn't he? As David tells Saul these truths, he says that God had protected him in the past. You see, when he was out shepherding his flock and the lion and the bear came to attack the sheep, God gave him the victory over the lion and the bear. And he rescued the sheep from its mouth. And so David trusted that if God could spare his life when it came to those adversaries and enemies, certainly God could do the same even when it came to a nine-foot-nine giant. But also this. David certainly trusted the word of God, God's word of promise. See, not so long before this event, God had David anointed as the next king of Israel. How could David be king if he were dead? If he was to die at the hand of the Philistine, how could he ever rule just as God had promised it? And furthermore, it seems that God perhaps had even revealed to David the truth that the victory would be his. Note in our lesson for today, when God, what David tells the giant right before he's about to take him on, I will strike you down and cut off your head. How could he have known? How could David have known that he was going to be successful in throwing the stone through the slave, striking the giant down and cutting off his head? David didn't even have a sword on him. And yet that's what he says to the giant. He's so confident as he trusts that God is with him, as he trusts God's word, that God's word will win for him the victory. So what is our takeaway from this lesson for us today? Is it perhaps that we should have a little bit more confidence in ourselves and we can face any adversary and foe? Is it perhaps that we ourselves need to have a bit more faith and as long as we have enough faith, then we will win the God certainly wants us to have confidence. He certainly doesn't want us to lose heart in the face of great enemies that seek to destroy our faith and destroy the work of his church. God certainly wants us to have greater faith. But he also wants us to know that he always wins the victory. Always. Sometimes that victory is won in an underdog story like we see in our lesson for today. And the little guy defeats the giant, or with Gideon's army, the 300 defeat the thousands upon thousands of the Midianites. Or like Elijah at Mount Carmel, as he takes on the prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal. But well, what about those other times? Men like Stephen, who was stoned to death by religious leaders. Or men like the disciple John, who was exiled. I think of John the Baptist, who was imprisoned and beheaded? Was it because these men lacked faith? Was it because these men were living sinful lives? Was it because these men were not doing the will of God that they were imprisoned and killed? By no means. Yet these 
those heroes of faith, Jesus was far greater. He never sinned once. He always followed God's will perfectly every step of the way. And as those enemies were encircling him, as he prays to the Heavenly Father to take the cup of suffering from him, he also prays that God's will be done. God didn't keep Jesus from being arrested in the garden. God did not silence the mouths of those liars and those mockers. God did not refrain, restrain the hand of the man holding the whip, of the soldiers coming to mock and to pound the crown of thorns into his head. He did not keep the hammer from being struck and the nail piercing through his hands. He did not take him down from the cross and Calvary. He did not keep him even from death. And yet God still won the victory, didn't he? God still won the victory through Christ's death. Through Christ's death, sin. And the power of Satan was destroyed, wasn't it? Because Christ himself offered his life as an offering for us and for our sins. And even more, on the third day, he rose to life from the dead, showing his victory even over the grave itself. And so there is this truth for us as Christians today. There are many powerful forces bent on destroying us, destroying our faith, destroying the work of the church. But God always overcomes. God always wins the victory. Think about what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Whether God permits him to live in this earth, in this life, whether he allows his life to be spared, to live is Christ. But to die is gain. Even if he dies, it's still gain. Because he gets to go to heaven. Because eternal life is his. The victory is his through Christ. The Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we always have the victory. Whether God works a miracle, whether he allows an underdog story to take place like David and Goliath, or even if he allows us to suffer, even if he allows us to die, that the victory is still ours. You know, something incredible over the history of the church is this, that even when God's people were persecuted, even when God's people and his churches were shut down, even when their voices were, were squelched and, and people were dying, what took place? God's people were, were forced to flee to other places, to other areas of the world, and the gospel message spread even then, even more so than before. You see, God used those negative things for a good purpose to, to further the work of his kingdom. You see, God always does win the victory. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart when facing giants. Many giants who also defy the name of the living God as Goliath did. We can be so concerned because of their strength. Maybe even at times using the strong arm of the government or, or using that threat even of taking away our livelihood and employment. We need not be afraid because we have a tool that is far greater. God himself. God who fights for us and God who always wins the victory. 
Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to please rise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.